0: We are in, uh, in Titus. We're reading the Bible together as a church over two years, um, and we're reading just two chapters every day. In fact, actually, hasn't it been great? It's just been one chapter a day for the last week, which has been wonderful. Um, no, but two chapters a day, um, and we're not doing it so that we can say we've read the whole Bible. We're not doing it just so we can learn, but we want to do that as well. We are doing it because we want to spend time with Jesus every single day. We want to be with him. We want to learn from him. We want to become like him. How do we become like him? It all starts by being with him. And so we just want to open his word. We've, we've got the words of God from his heart written down and we can read them. And, and so we're reading it every day. And there are bits that we don't get and bits that are weird and bits that kind of freak us out but even those bits you want to read because as we read them even when we don't understand them they turn our hearts just one degree each time and align us with heaven so that we can we can tune into his voice experience his presence that is what it is about and that is why we do it um so we're doing that and we are we're in Titus this week I think we're going to be starting that tomorrow is that right um so wonderful thank you That is great. So um, Titus is a letter that Paul wrote to a guy called Titus. And it's a little bit like the letter that he wrote to Timothy. Um, Timothy and Titus were both little protégés of Paul, okay? And Paul sent Timothy as a leader and said, I want you to be in Ephesus and this is where I want you to be based and I want you to, to lead this church and to speak into this church. And then to Titus he said, I'm sending you to Crete. And he put him on this little island of Crete. And Crete had all these ports, strategic ports on it at the time. And so it was a really amazing place to go and share the gospel because from there the gospel went out to low Of places, and so this is where Titus is, and and um, Paul's writing this letter to him. Now, we're going to read a little bit in a moment, but um, before we do, I don't know about you, but um, man, I remember that some of you, when we were going through the Old Testament, were saying to me, "I can't wait to get to the New Testament. Like, I can't wait to get to the New Testament. The, The Old Testament is just it was boring you, or it was heavy, or it was this. But oh my gosh, like, come on, Paul's letters." Like, how many of you can't wait to get back to the Old Testament? Yeah. <laughs> I think I prefer the evening congregation. No, don't tell the morning congregation that. But um, no, no, listen. (laughs) I need to edit that out of the talk before it goes in the podcast. Um, No, No, this morning they just didn't respond. I was like, "Come on!" But I mean, Paul's letters are—they're hard going, aren't they? There's lots of deep theology, and there's lots of things that he puts in, and you're like, "Oh my gosh!" And you can walk away from some of Paul's letters, and Titus is no different. You can walk away from it, feeling a little bit beat up, a little bit trodden down, a little bit like you're not good enough, a little. Bit like, oh my gosh, there's such a high bar to live up to because Paul just lays it all out. He's like, this is how Christians should live. Boom, 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 boom. And you're like, whoa. Now, Paul does something cool. um, And you you see this in uh, chapter 1, verse 9. Paul basically says, hey, but the reason that I'm telling you to live like this is for Jesus it's all about Jesus. It's for him. And you think, okay, that sounds like a good incentive, right? So in verse 9, he's talking about how, like, hey, they should be living like this, because then they, they can stand on sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Well, what is sound doctrine all about? It's about Jesus, right? So hey, you, you can stand on Jesus. This is why you live like this. And, and in, in chapter 2, in verse 5, he's, he's got this whole load of other stuff he's saying, how people should behave. And he says, why? Why do you live like this? So that no one will malign the word of God. So that no one, no one can pull apart the word of God. We live like this because our actions then show that this is true and we actually believe it. And look how great Jesus is. So you saying, yeah, it's all for Jesus. And then it gets down to, Verse 10, and he says, hey, you know, you need to live like this, you need to do this, live up to this standard, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive. Why? Because when you live the way of Jesus, Jesus is attractive and he's beautiful to the people around you. Like, So he's saying, live like this, and you go, yeah, great, Paul. Okay, that's really cool. That's really, really cool. Like, We want to live for Jesus. That excites us a little bit. I don't know about you, but when I was a, a teenager, once a month we would go to the mix and um, yeah and once a year we would go to Hill House Camp and um, and it was a little bit like they were the high. You go you go to it and be like, come on, we're gonna meet with God and worship was great and all that kind of thing. And then you'd have the, the time in between the camps, the whole year, or in between the monthly meetings at the mix, and you'd be like get a week in and be like, and I am failing as a Christian, but it's okay because next month we'll be back at the mix and God will be good. Like, and, 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 and that happens, right? So it's, and it can be like that, being a Christian. Yeah, it's all for Jesus. And then you walk out of here on a Sunday and on a Monday, some of you don't even make it past two minutes after you've got up. Others of you are great and you make it to breakfast time and others of you make it into the office. Some of you don't make it past the car journey without losing a little bit of the Jesus heart. You know, those other drivers on the road, gosh. But, but, but literally... And we end up failing again. And we're like, oh, the whole Jesus thing, Paul, that got me excited. And it it got me a a few minutes into my next day or even a week. But somehow I'm still not living up to it. And um, I mean, it is hard. Living the Jesus way is hard. I mean, Jesus himself, didn't he? He said, if you want to follow me, take up your cross, die to yourself. Wow. That's hard. Because that's not our natural way of being, is it? That's not how we want to live. And check, check this out, just, this is, this, just for how hard it is, right? Paul's talking about, obviously he's talking about being an elder. Pay attention, Max. Um, but he's talking about being an elder. And he says this in, verse, in verse, four, uh, verse 6. He says, an elder must be blameless. Blameless. Oh, man. How many of you could put your hand up and say that you're blameless? Just me? No, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. Not even me, like, oh my goodness me, I'm, I'm the pastor of the church here and I cannot put my hand up and tell you that I'm blameless. I cannot. But do you know why? There's only one human being ever to set foot on planet earth who was blameless and his name was Jesus. His name was Jesus. Nobody else is blameless, only him, only him. And Paul's saying, be blameless. You're like, oh man, This is hard. This is really hard. Um, And then you get into uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And I'm I'm not even going to jump into that. I mean, you you have a read down that and it's like, tell the old men that they need to be like this and the older women that they need to be like this. And I'm just going to put it out there and say, I'm not telling the old men and women to be like anything. (laughs) I'm going to get in trouble. (laughs) Uh, if, if, If Paul wrote me a letter like that to this church, I'd be up here and be like, right, right, guys. Paul said... And I'd be reading it out. <laughs> I'm like, whoa. So, no, no, but, and you read the stuff that he's calling you to do, and, and the young men and the young women, and this is how you should live, and you should be like this. And you're like, I feel for Titus, because, man, if he had to say that to his church, I mean, probably I should be saying it to us, right? And you should be saying it to me. Like, this is, this is what we're called to. But it's hard. It's really hard. It's really, really hard. And then there's this little verse, And and I think we read this verse and we go, oh, that's a nice verse. Chapter 1, verse 15 says this. To the pure, all things are pure. Oh, isn't that lovely? To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupt and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupt. And we go, oh, yeah, to the pure, all things are pure. How nice. But we miss what Paul's actually saying. Do you know what Paul just did there? He upped the ante. Like he made it even harder. You see, because what Paul's saying is it isn't just about what you do outwardly, because it's about what happens in here. So it's not just about your actions. It's also about your heart and your mind. It's about your spirit. It's about who you are deep within. Because if you are pure within, then everything out will be pure. But if in here isn't pure, then everything that comes out isn't going to be pure. And Paul, just just so you don't think that Paul's off on one, but, oh, but Jesus was lovely. Paul, (laughs) I'm with Jesus. Just so you don't think that it's like that, because it isn't. I mean, like, Paul loved Jesus, right? He is so passionate about Jesus. And so Paul's just building on the teaching of Jesus. Uh, In Luke chapter 11, verse 40 and 41, let's just jump there. Um, Luke 11, 40 and 41. This is Jesus speaking and he says this, you foolish people, love that, <laughs> I imagine it in the Greek, it's probably a lot stronger than that, but yeah, anyway, we'll go with that. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also, but now, As for what is inside you, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. As for what is inside of you, it isn't just about what you do, but what is in you. In Mark uh, chapter 7 verse 15, um, Jesus speaking again, okay. And Jesus says this, nothing outside a person can defile them. By going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. It's what comes out of a person. So, this isn't just Paul kind of jumping on one. This is Jesus. This is the teaching of Jesus. What is in you is important. Do you remember the the Matthew 5? If you watch that one online, the teaching from uh, the Sermon on the Mount, like Jesus ups the ante. Do you remember that? Jesus says, Hey, you've heard it said. Not to commit adultery, but let me tell you: don't even look at a woman lustfully. Like what your your inward desire—that is—is is really important because what's in here affects what comes out. And in Romans uh, chapter 14, verse 23, Paul writes this. He says, "Everything, everything that does not come from faith, it is sin. Everything. Do, do you know what?" It's not just about good and bad or moral right and wrongs. Everything that doesn't come from faith, even if by worldly standards is good, it is sin. If it isn't, You see, faith is walking towards God, but sin is walking away from God. And so if I'm walking away from God, right, I'm missing the mark. Hatah in Hebrew, I'm walking away from God. I'm not on target. It doesn't matter how many good things I do. I'm walking to death because that way is life. That way is life. It doesn't matter what you do that is good according to the world's standards. If it's not rooted in faith, it is sending you the other way. That's, that's what the scriptures say. And, and that's what Paul's getting at with this letter to Titus. You notice how Paul talks about corruption in verse 15? But he, what does he say corruption is? Look, look, he says this. Those who are corrupt and do not believe. What is corruption? It's not bad actions in the world. Corruption is not believing in God corruption is a corrupt heart corruption is a broken humanity the image of God destroyed within us that's corruption and when that in here is corrupt everything that comes out is corrupt now, you may, do you remember the verse, um, gosh, was it a week ago, maybe, in, in home groups, we were reading in 1 Timothy, and there was that verse about um, the sins of people that go before them, but then there are the sins of people that trail behind them. Uh, and I love that, because actually, you know what, some people's sin is obvious, and you see it straight away. But other people, they look like they're doing really great, but you don't see the impact of their sin, of the corruption within them, on the world around them until later. It lags behind them. And Paul's just getting at that here. If we are corrupt in here, it doesn't matter how good you look to the people around you, at some point, your brokenness is going to impact you and it's going to impact the people around you and the world around you. Like, wow. It's hard to be a Christian, right? Be holy as I am holy, says the Lord God Almighty. Gosh. Anyone else feel like they're failing? (laughs) But let me just tell you this. If you read Paul's letters and you feel like that, I promise you it's because you've not read it in context right? It's because you've not read the whole thing. We have a habit as Christians of reading bite-sized chunks of the Bible, which is why we're trying to read chunks of it in one go, two chapters a day. And we're getting through like, depending on the size of the book, we're getting through them in a week or two weeks or a couple of days, whatever. But we want to read it all because when we read it together, we get more of the context, we get the flow, we get the heart behind it. And and so um, I wanted to take a moment And I want to read, and we're going to hang out here for a little bit. I want to read chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. You see, because Paul isn't trying to make it hard for you. He's just simply telling you, this is the way of Jesus, which can make you feel like you're failing. It can feel difficult. But when you suddenly discover what's really going on, wow, there's hope and there's life and there's possibility. So listen to this, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself... Uh, for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good you see here's the key right live like this Paul says live up to this high standard live up to it but here's how you do it by the grace of God by the grace of God and and what I love about this, and this this is the line that when I was reading this, I just felt the Holy Spirit resting on it, just jumps out at me, and I was like, this is it. This is what I believe God wants to say to us today, church. It is this. Now, all of this is possible in this present age. You see that line? In this present age. All of that is possible now. So often as Christians, I think we end up kind of thinking, oh, one day when we all get to heaven, It'll all be perfect, and it'll all be put right. And praise the Lord, it will. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that it isn't possible for us to experience something of heaven now, something of the fullness of life that Jesus has called us into now. Paul says, it is possible in this present age. Like, wow, it is possible. It is possible. You can say no. You can say no. How? By the grace of God and we're going to talk about what that is in a moment but the grace of God teaches us to say no what is it you're struggling with do you remember last week I talked a little bit about um a kind of overcoming pornography okay and and, and I said didn't I I talked a little bit about how when you start thinking about what you need to stop doing the more you think about it the more it consumes your thoughts and the more you end up wanting to do it whatever it is you see, here's the thing. We need to say no to that stuff. But in order to say no to that, we need to see what the yes is. Where's your yes? Where's your yes? You see, also, it's not just about saying no to the outward thing. Like, that's really difficult. You say no to the outward thing and you manage for a day, and then suddenly you're like, oh, and I've done it again. I've screwed up again. I was rude to that person. I, I'm harbouring hatred in my heart towards that person. I I don't know, whatever it is, I've lost my joy because of this, and blah, 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 blah. Like, and, and we want to say no to those things, but it's so difficult to say no to those things. But here's the thing, you don't say no to those things, you say no to the ungodly and worldly passions. That's what you say no to. You say no to what's in here. You see that, Paul says, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passion. You don't say no to the act, you say no to the desire. You say no to what is in here. You say no to to the thing that is growing within you so that you can say yes to what God wants to put in you. You can say yes to his spirit. You can say yes to love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. You can say yes to that because you say no to the thing in here that is growing from within. That's what we get to say no to. Um, What goes on inside affects what comes out. And we can go on saying no to the outward thing. But I say no to that one thing. And then the next day, this other thing pops up again. And the problem is is I haven't dealt with the root of the problem. I'm just dealing with the fruit of the problem. And I need to deal with the root of the problem. I need to say no to that before it even shoots up and becomes a little shoot in my heart. That's what I need to say no to. That's it. Now, Paul goes on and he talks about the fact that we can say no to that stuff. But then we also can live self-controlled, upright and godly lives. We can live those lives. You notice how Paul connects the word self-controlled to upright and godly. Okay. And here's the thing. It isn't just about kind of self-controlled in the moment. Paul connects self-control to the word godly, which means what Paul is doing is he's saying this self-control thing is not just about moral standards, it's not just about social uh, rights and wrongs, it's not just about kind of all of that stuff, it's about something more than that. You see, what Paul does is by connecting self-control to the word godly, what he does is he's he's connecting our behaviour to our faith. Our behaviour is connected to our faith. Our self-control is connected to the word godly. Godly lives, self-controlled lives are godly lives. He's just repeating a little bit about what he's already been saying. You see, what happens in here affects what comes out of there. And that's what we need to put right. Our hearts and align with God. That's what we need to do. Now... Um, it's a bit like the 1 Titus 15 thing and, and the Romans 14:23 thing. Everything that doesn't come from faith is sin. We need to put right what's in here if we want to live right out there. Now, it sounds again hard, doesn't it? It sounds really hard. How do I do that? It's like you've raised the bar. It's not just, it's not just here. It's not just about behaviour. No, it's about what goes on in here. But it's not just about that. It's about faith. I'm like, wow, you're just raising the bar higher and higher, Matt. I thought you said it was possible in this present age. And, and yet you're just making it sound even more difficult. But it is possible in this present age. It is possible in this present age. How? Well, you see, the reason it's possible in this present age is because God... God wants you to learn to live in the fullness of life. John 10.10, Jesus came that they might have life and life in all of its fullness. Do you know that? He wants you to live a full life. Do you feel like that this evening? Are you sat there feeling full of life? Do you feel like that? Are you alive? Do you know hope and joy and love and peace? Do you know those things? Because that's what Jesus came for. And I tell you what, church, he did not come so that we could sit here on a Sunday and get bored and nod along with Matt and kind of watch him walk backwards and forwards across the stage and just think, when am I going to get to go home and and we're going to come back and do it all again next week? That's not what he died for. He didn't die for that. He died so that you could be fully alive. I mean, come on, how amazing is that? That's what he died for. I want that. I want that for you. I want that for me. I want that for this church. I want us to be fully alive. Because Jesus died for it. He died for it. What's stopping you being fully alive? What's stopping you being fully alive? Think about that for a moment. We're going to come back to it. But you know, Jesus wants you to be fully alive. How? How do we do that? Well, the key is in that first line of verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. The grace of God has appeared. It has appeared. Not will, not might, not maybe, not if we pray hard enough. He has appeared. What is the grace of God? Jesus. Jesus is the grace of God. The revelation of who God is. He's the gift of God to us. You know, when he died upon that cross, what did he say? It is finished. It is finished. What are you carrying? What is weighing you down? What is stopping you from living the fullness of life that Jesus wants you to live? Because whatever that is, he died for it and said, it is finished. Stop carrying it. Put it at the cross. He died. The grace of God has made it possible. Has made it possible. Paul goes on in chapter 3. I'll tell you what let's read verse 14 yeah Uh, verse 14 who Jesus who gave himself to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good Jesus he died to redeem us all that stuff that gets in the way of you living the fullness of life. All that stuff that gets in the way of you having a, a relationship with your Father God. All that stuff that gets in the way of the relationships of the people around you. The stuff that bugs you about other people that you get resentful about or whatever. Whatever it is, all those things, the Bible calls it sin. It calls it sin. And do you know what? Jesus died for our sins to redeem us, to buy us back. That's what he did and to redeem us from all wickedness, and to purify for himself. Do you notice that? Who's doing the work here? Not us, Jesus. Jesus is purifying us. Jesus is doing it to purify for himself a people that are his very own. In chapter 3 from verse 4, Paul writes this, but when the kindness and love of, our, of God, our Savior, appeared. By the way, just a little geeky thing, because you know I can't do a preach without mentioning the Old Testament at least once somewhere. But um, that that phrasing there, kindness and love, that's a direct quote from Exodus. You remember the whole uh, God when He declares His name on top of the mountain, Yahweh, Yahweh, compassionate and gracious God. Uh, you know, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Love and faithfulness, the words hesed we emet in the Hebrew. And in the Greek, they get translated like this, kindness and love. And what does God say about himself in Exodus? He says, this is who I am. I am hesed we emit. I am kindness and love. And so Paul says, when the kindness and love appeared, when God himself appeared, Jesus. When, the, when, when, this, when God appeared, he, he saved us, not because of our righteousness, uh, righteous things, things we have done, but because of his mercy, because of his mercy. It's not about you. It's not about what you've done. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work your way back there. You don't have to beg for forgiveness. Do you know the Bible calls us to repent? But I think that so often in our modern context, we get confused and we think the Bible calls us to remorse. It doesn't. It calls us to repent. And there's this kind of hangover from the Middle Ages and the Catholic tradition of remorse and of feeling sad and guilty and sorrowful. The Bible doesn't call us to that. The Bible calls us to repent, to turn 180 degrees and run back to our father. That's repentance, to turn around. And I tell you what, when you turn around, you know what's waiting for you? The father with his arms wide open. In fact, he's running to you. That's the story of the prodigal son. Wow, like that's what's going on here. That's what's going on. He is doing it all. You just need to turn to him. It's not about you. You're never going to be worthy enough, except for the fact he's made you worthy because of who he is, you know? He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Saviour, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Wow. Wow. Jesus died, right? He died. He died the death we should have died. He took our sin. He paid the punishment. He died and he said, it is finished. And then he rose again, offering us the hope of eternal life that we're going to get to raise up with him. And then he ascended into heaven. And what did he do when he got to heaven? He poured out his spirit. He lavished it upon his church. He was generous with it. He's pouring it out so that What does he say the spirit will do the spirit will teach you he will comfort you he will guide you he'll empower you he'll produce fruit in you the spirit will teach you the grace of god teaches us to say no the very gift of god's holy spirit that's how this all starts when we open ourselves up to his spirit when his spirit is in us and it gives us the power and the wisdom to say no to the things and we start to realize it's not that i'm saying no to It's this in here I'm saying no to so that I can make room for him and say yes to him. That's what's going on here. You know, church, I'm not going to talk for much longer, I promise you. Um, But I read those words, in this present age, and I was like, wow, we're not living like some of this stuff is possible in this present age, but it is, but it is, it is. I mean, come on. I want that. I want to live in that. I want us to live in that. It is possible to live in hope. It is possible to experience healing. It is impossible to discover joy in the midst of extreme pain and sorrow. It is possible. It is possible to find peace. It is possible to discover that you are part of a family and you are loved and that you can love. It is possible uh, just... Yeah, all of that stuff, to discover trust again where maybe that was stolen from you. All of that is possible. You know, this morning I gave this example and I'm going to give it again tonight because I think it's a good one. But I think um, it is possible to forgive. It's possible to forgive. I think some of us sometimes really struggle with forgiving people. And, and Jesus calls us to forgive. He calls us to forgive. In fact, the scriptures say, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. I'm like, ah, oh, there's another thing to live up to. But I'm like, God, I hurt so much in my pain. You really want me to forgive that person? Yes. Yes. Why? Because I've forgiven you. <laughs> and I'm like, all right. Like, but you know what? It is possible. It is possible. And here's the thing. When you hold something over someone, oh man, that's a heavy weight to carry. That crushes your spirit. To hold something over someone, it it breaks a person. It's heavier than we realize, and it crushes us. But when we hold something over someone, do you know what? Do you know what you're really doing when you hold something over someone? You are denying the truth and the power of the cross of Jesus for them and for you. Why do you want to do that? Do you know what, when you hold something over someone, you are believing a lie. Because Jesus said, it is finished. It is, so let it go. It is finished. But when we don't believe that, we believe a lie. Who is the father of all lies? Satan, he is the father of all lies. And do you know what, he's been lying to humanity since day one, right in the Garden of Eden, and he's still doing it now. I don't want to believe the lie. There are things in my life that he speaks into. And you have to be really wise, you know. You have to take captive every thought. You have to discern, is that really in line with God's word? No. Well, then where's that come from? Well, from someone else. (laughs) That's not come from the Lord. Oh, right. I'm rejecting that. I'm saying no to that. That thing that I thought was in me is in me by someone else. I'm saying no to it. I'm saying yes to the Word of God, even when the Word of God challenges me, even when the Word of God is hard, even when the Word of God doesn't line up with the things around me. I'm going to say yes to it because it is where life is found. He is where life is found. I'm saying no to the Father of lies. And check this out. Look at what Titus, uh, what Timothy, uh, sorry, Paul writes to Titus, in chapter one, verse two right he says we've got the hope of eternal life which God who does not lie promised before the beginning of time God who, who does not lie he does not lie and what has he told us it is possible in this present age it is finished and you can know the fullness of life. You can live like this. This is not something that I'm calling you to try and live up to. This is something that I'm inviting you into because I have made a way for you to let go of the hurt that you're carrying, for you to experience joy, for you to step into peace, for you to know healing, all of that stuff. God is saying, come, 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 because the grace of God has appeared and it is possible in this present age. Wow, like, come on. Oh, it is possible. So I wonder, church, I'm going to stop, I promise there, right? But um, I wonder, what are you carrying? What are you carrying? What is stopping you experiencing love with people around you or trusting people around you? What is stopping you truly becoming part of this fellowship and throwing yourself all in? What is stopping you? From feeling joy and peace. What lie are you believing? What are you holding over yourself or over somebody else? What are you carrying guilt and shame for? Lay it all down at the cross. At the feet of the one who says it is finished. Who has risen again and poured out his spirit saying that in this present age you can know the fullness of life. You can know the fullness of life. Wow, I want that. And I want that for us. And and you know what? Maybe I'm starting to sound like a broken record. Because over the last few weeks, I realized that some of my preachers have probably been pretty much along these lines in different ways. I've been coming back to this Holy Spirit thing again and again. And um, I just have to be honest with you and say, do you know what? Guys, we can't move forward as a church. I can't move on from this if we don't step on from this. You know? Because God's not going to let me. <laughs> because God is so, he's so determined for his church to be his church. He's so determined for his church to be alive. He's so determined for the spirit, the presence of God to be in the midst of the people of God and to transform their lives. Do you know how determined he is? He died for us to make it possible. He died for us to make it possible. That's how determined he is. We're not going anywhere until we come to the cross and we lay all that stuff down and we invite his spirit in and we let him transform us. So you deal with that what you will. <laughs> but um, I hope that, I hope that you, you take it seriously and I hope that you step into it because I'm excited for what else God's got for us but I'm going to keep preaching this thing over and over again and, until God says it's time to move on. We need to invite his spirit in. We need to let him do what only he can do. So we're going to worship, we're going to sing a song called Jesus Only Jesus. We haven't sung it for a little while, but it's a song that declares that he has the power to raise the dead. He is the one who sets people free. He is the one who brings hope. He is the one who restores sight to the blind. Why? Because it's not about what you do. It's about what he has done and what he is doing. So stop thinking that you have to do anything. You just have to come. That's all you have to do. And let him do it. And let him come in. Um... What I'm going to do is I'm just going to ask um, yeah, Anna and Glenis and Steve and um, Barb. You up for praying for people? Great. Um, let's have you guys just head over there. And um, and I think we're going we're to worship. And these guys are just going to be over in this space here. And, and if you want someone to pray with you, they're going to be there to pray with you. Now, you don't have to say anything to them. You can just say, I want more of his spirit. I want that fullness of life. And they'll just pray for God's spirit to come. But if there's something particular that you know you've been carrying and you feel that conviction of the Holy Spirit right now, then by all means tell them. No one's going to judge you, okay? They just want to pray for you and just pray into that. But you don't have to say anything because God's spirit already knows. So we just want to invite his spirit. Um, So why don't you guys just head over there? Why don't the rest of us stand? Um, And. Let's just, let's just take a moment to be still. Maybe you want to close your eyes. Maybe you want to hold out your hands. Whatever is, is right for you. But let's just invite God's spirit to come and do what he wants to do. I thank you, Jesus. For the grace that you have shown us. Thank you, God, for the cross. And all that you invite us into. And we say tonight, we want that. We want you. Come. Pour out your spirit in this place. Holy Spirit. Come and rest upon us. Come and dwell within us. Come and have your way in our hearts and lives tonight. Come, God.